Hello, I'm Laura Hamilton. Welcome to Book Larder Podcast, where we share author talks from the kitchen of Seattle's Community Cookbook Shop. If you're looking for ways to reduce the added sugar in your cooking, then today's episode is for you. When Jennifer Tyler Lee wanted her daughter to eat more fresh foods, she decided to take a fun, kid-friendly approach, creating the Crunch a Color Game and 52 New Foods Challenge. With her latest book, Half the Sugar, All the Love, Jennifer focuses her kitchen creativity on making our favorite foods a little bit healthier. She visited the Book Larder Kitchen in January 2020. Here's Jennifer Tyler Lee and Half the Sugar, All the Love. Thank you for hosting. This is one of my most favorite places. I brag about it all the time to my friends in Burlingame. I'm like, we need this in our little town. We need this amazing place. I'll try and sit down and relax. So I am a Canadian girl. I grew up in Toronto and I came to the U.S. by way of Boston and I now live in San Francisco. My husband is Canadian too. Um, He did the same kind of thing where like he went to the East Coast for school and then came to the West Coast for school and we landed in San Francisco. It's a pretty great place to live. So that's where we stayed. I have two kids. Really, my passion for food grew out of my daughter's picky eatingness. So she was a bit of a finicky eater when she was young. And we came up with this little game. It was a mealtime card game that we played at the dinner table. And she called it Crunch a Color. And the idea was you're going to earn points and color cards for eating fruits and vegetables. And that little game, which we did as a fun summer project, ended up going nationwide with Pottery Barn Kids and Barnes & Noble. And next thing you knew, I was sort of in the food world. Fast forward to where this book is. I did my nutrition and healthy living certificate from Cornell University, partnered with Dr. Anisha Patel, who is my co-author on this book. She is on faculty at Stanford and she leads the pediatric sugar research there. She previously worked on the team at UCSF where Robert Lustig is, and you probably know some of his books related to sugar too. He definitely talks about that a lot. So with this book, I really wanted to give everyone a practical way to both understand the science, the evidence-based science about sugar, and then also have some delicious ways to make your favorite foods in a healthier way. This book, let's see, it's more than three years since I started developing the concept and the recipes here. In addition to Anisha, who brought in a lot of that evidence-based science, we had three professional chefs working with me, a registered dietitian, a whole team of people, because you realize as you begin to take sugar out, it's very hard to maintain the texture and flavor. So to achieve a brownie recipe that's just as delicious and decadent as what you would expect from a box brownie mix, you have to have a good team of people working with you. So I'm really grateful to that whole team that helped bring this book to life. Um, So that's a little bit about my background. And I'm happy to be here. I'm so excited to see it finally in the wild. It's awesome. All right. So let's talk about added sugar versus naturally occurring sugar. Because in this book, there are 
100 recipes from the, more than 100 actually, all the way from breakfast through to dessert with at least 50% less sugar than the boxed equivalent or maybe an alternative you would make at home like a zucchini bread. You're not going to find that necessarily in a box. And the secret to reducing that added sugar is using fiber-rich fruits and vegetables to sweeten instead. I have a couple of other tricks. I like to use a lot of spices to enhance flavor and nuts and seeds. So I'll work those in as well for both texture and flavor. But really, the key to low sugar cooking is using those fiber-rich fruits and vegetables to sweeten instead of added sugar. So one of the questions that comes up often is, well, help me understand the difference between added sugar and naturally occurring sugar. So isn't there sugar in an apple or in blueberries or in sweet potato that you use in the brownies? And the answer is added sugar is different than naturally occurring sugar. What we're concerned about is reducing added sugar. Added sugar would be things like granulated sugar, honey, maple syrup, agave, all of these fall into the category of added sugars. There's actually 60 different names. There's a figure in the book where we outline a whole bunch of them. Date syrup, corn syrup, agave, barley, malt. Like there's a whole list of them in here. Coconut sugar. Those are sugars that are added to food to enhance our sweetness. Beverages too. Naturally occurring sugar shows up in the sweet potato or the apple or the pear that I use to sweeten the creamy poppy seed dressing. And that those fruits and vegetables are different because they come naturally packaged with fiber. And that fiber is really the difference. So fiber slows absorption of the sugar in your body, making it easier for your body to process. And it also helps you feel full. Um, so it may lead you to eat a little bit less. So using those fruits and vegetables, those fiber-rich fruits and vegetables is really the key to, to reducing added sugar. So we talked about the added sugar versus naturally occurring sugar. Let's also talk for a minute about monk fruit, stevia, some of these other, right? Because a lot of times what happens is people say, oh, I, I'm reducing sugar because I'm using stevia instead, or I, I find these kind of what are called non-nutritive sugar substitutes. And we actually don't recommend using them in the book. There are a couple of reasons, but the primary one, stevia is about, two, it's 200 to 400 times sweeter than sugar. And so what that does is it's training your palate to prefer the sweet. When you start to sweeten with fruits and vegetables, your preference for sweet is going to change over time. And you'll find that you don't need as much sugar. So when you're using something that's many times sweeter than sugar, you may be counteracting the good work that you're trying to do. There's also some early research that shows that when you consume something like a stevia or a monk fruit, these non-nutritive sweeteners, um, your brain says, oh, that's sweet but your, the reaction in your body doesn't follow suit, so your insulin doesn't go up, right? And your brain says, well, that doesn't really make sense, right? And I'm gonna keep getting you to try and find that sweet to get the reaction that I expect to happen, um, which may lead you to consume more. So it's really unclear. The research on, the, on stevia is still early, 
the artificial sweeteners for sure. They're saying don't, don't consume those. There was a study recently that had the participants consume a soda sweetened with an artificial sweetener and then a soda that was sweetened with sugar. And then they were invited to consume a snack afterwards. There were salty snacks and sweet snacks. And it turned out that the people who had the soda sweetened with artificial sweeteners were more likely to choose the sweet snack later. So more to be learned, but I think ultimately you can't go wrong with sweetening with fruits and vegetables instead of added sugar, instead of sugar substitutes, because we need to eat more fruits and vegetables too. So are sugar substitutes worse than the actual sugar? Well, I think it's back to this idea where if it's stevia, for example, it's 200 to 400 times sweeter than sugar. So you're kind of training your palate to prefer that level of sweet. And what happens when you start to reduce sugar and when you start to sweeten with fruits and vegetables instead, your preference for that sweet changes over time and then you find that you don't crave it as much, which is ultimately what we need to do. Currently, added sugar intake is at about three times the recommended daily amount. So for women, it's at about 18 teaspoons a day. And our recommended amount is six teaspoons. Children, it's six teaspoons as well. Younger ones, closer to three. And then under the age of two, they recommend no added sugar at all. Men have a a daily limit of nine teaspoons a day. Right now, we're at about three times that number. So we need to find ways to cut it back. Okay, so we talked a little bit about added sugar versus naturally occurring sugar. We talked about sugar substitutes. We talked about why, you know, some diets will advocate for not consuming fruit. Again, because fruit has sugar in it. But it goes back to this idea that added sugar is different from naturally occurring sugar, that fruit has fiber, which is really important for your body. And we need to be increasing fruits and vegetables, not decreasing them. So, so long as you're using those whole fruits and vegetables, you're in a good place. I think the other thing that's really surprising to people is most, most people feel like added sugar, they keep added sugar in check, right? So that three times the daily limit, oh, well, that's probably not me. But what's interesting is if you begin to track it, you'll notice that sugar ends up in hidden in a lot of foods, like what you were talking about with these sauces. So for example, in a salad dressing, um, a salad dressing can contain up to three teaspoons of added sugar per serving. Serving size is two tablespoons. So that's half of what you're consuming in that salad dressing is sugar. And that's as much sugar as a glazed donut. So you're not thinking, I'm eating a donut while you're having your salad, right? Another surprising place where it can show up is in soups, for example. So I found a little package of creamy tomato soup on the shelf, and that little package of soup in the one serving had 17 grams of sugar. Yeah, it's a lot. That's also a donut, right? So instead, in the book, I sweeten the soup with grated carrots, And those carrots add velvety texture without cream, and they also add natural sweetness. So it's a good hack. In in the dressing, I use pear. I showed that one this morning. And that's another one. It adds this creamy texture without cream. 
So there's no cream in that dressing. It's just the pears that create this delicious, creamy, sweet texture. Another place that sugar shows up when you're not expecting it are sauces. So barbecue sauce, most people know that barbecue sauce has some sugar in it. In the book, I sweeten the barbecue sauce with nectarines and you can use frozen peaches if you don't have them because nectarines are hard to find this time of year. But hoisin sauce, for example, a jar of hoisin sauce. I found this jar of hoisin sauce on the shelf last week and it had 30 teaspoons of added sugar in the jar. That's just a lot. So instead in the book, I sweeten the hoisin sauce with, I use miso paste, but if you don't have miso paste in your fridge, you can use unsweetened peanut butter and it's delicious. It's so easy. The recipe comes together in five minutes. You can keep it in your fridge because it's cooked. You can keep it in your fridge for a month. You can freeze it if you need to. So there are lots of ways to take those hidden sugars and replace them in recipes with fruits and vegetables instead. Those are a couple of the myths Why don't I talk for a minute about the key ingredients? Because there are some things that you're going to want to have in your pantry to sort of ensure that you can do this easily. Most of what I use in the book, the ingredients are not fancy. Nine times out of 10, you're going to be able to open your pantry and have everything in there that you need in order to make these recipes. But there are a couple of ones that I found that I started adding to my pantry more often as I began to cook this way. Medjool dates. So if you don't have medjool dates on your grocery list, put them on your grocery list. They are like gems. I love them. They add this caramely, sweet flavor. They have about 1.6 grams of fiber per date. And they just add so much delicious flavor. And I use them for all sorts of things. So they're the secret in the chewy chocolate chip cookie. That chewy chocolate chip cookie took three chefs more than 25 tries to get right because everybody has a very high expectation of a chocolate chip cookie, right? You know what you expect that cookie to taste like. And we tried every iteration and combination possible. Where we ended up was pulverizing the dates into the flour. So you use the food processor and basically create kind of like a date flour, right? You don't want to process it too much, otherwise it turns into paste, but just enough to break up those dates. And then that flour gets incorporated into the recipe with a little bit of brown sugar. And the reason why we use the brown sugar instead of the white sugar is that brown sugar, first of all, it has more of that molasses-y flavor, but also it absorbs moisture as the cookie cools. So it, it ends up with a more chewy texture with crispy edges than if you had just used granulated sugar. So these are some tricks of the trade. The other thing I like to have on hand, canned sweet potato. So these brownies, if you haven't tried them already, we should, we should pass them around. These are one of my most favorite recipes in the book. They are sweetened with sweet potato and they are they're gluten-free as a result of it. Super decadent, but they, I make them in the food processor. You can roast your own sweet potato. That's an easy thing to do. But if you don't have time to do that, use the canned sweet potato. You throw it into the food processor with a little bit of almond butter. It's got a little bit of um, maple syrup in there, cocoa powder. And it's just so, it's so easy and so decadent and delicious. So I always keep that canned sweet potato in my pantry. The other canned item that I always have on hand, you can use frozen 
as well, frozen like pineapple tidbits. I use that crushed pineapple in the can. I do that a lot too. Um, there's a recipe in the book for a pineapple teriyaki short rib that I love this time of year because it goes into the slow cooker. Actually, I made it before I came up here. I was you know, leaving my kids with my mother-in-law. I wanted to have some food taken care of so that I knew that, okay, I was leaving them in good hands. Not that my mother-in-law can't cook because she's great cook, but I wanted to feel like I had done something special for my family. So I threw those pineapple teriyaki short ribs in the slow cooker. And the trick to those is sweetening with the crushed pineapple. They are really good. So I love this one at this time of year. And I also had the pork roast with the hoisin sauce going. So there's a, a Chinese style pork roast that's in the book too that I left for them yesterday. So let's also talk about how we can learn more about where added sugar is. This month, you're gonna begin to see a new food label. That label will have added sugar called out separately. It won't be on all products. It will be on large manufacturers. And even some of those larger manufacturers will have product on the shelf that hasn't yet expired. So you may have the same product or what looks like the same product with a slightly different label. One of them has the added sugar listed and one of them doesn't. And it may just be that that older product hasn't expired yet, but also doesn't have the new label. But when you see that on the label, the added sugar will be listed in grams. And in order to do the rough calculation of teaspoons, which is a kind of easier measure to visualize because it's hard to measure, like, what is a gram? You can kind of get what a teaspoon is. You divide that number by four. So, for example, if there are 20 grams listed per serving of added sugar, you're going to divide that number by four. That means there's five teaspoons per serving of added sugar. In the book, what I do for each recipe, I have this little icon. It's a sugar cube and it's at the top of each recipe right here. And what I show you is how much added sugar is in a typical version of waffles with maple syrup. In this case, it would be 16 teaspoons. Then in pink, I show you how much is in my recipe, which in this case is one and a half teaspoons. So the trick here is using pumpkin, which is another great pantry staple to have on hand, which creates this like delicious, rich flavor. It's also got fiber to help you feel full. And then I pair it with a maple yogurt with a little bit of cinnamon. And that combination is just super satisfying. So you don't need as much maple syrup and you're also getting the pumpkin, which keeps you feeling full. So I, I make this for my kids every week. And just, I leave it in the freezer, actually. I half cook them. And there's a tip for how you do this. You can half cook them and then put them into the freezer. And then when you pull them out, you just throw them into the toaster oven and they're done in two minutes. So it's a really quick and easy breakfast. And for snack, I will just cut them into sticks and serve the maple yogurt on the side as a dip. And that's for snacks for me too, <laughs> because <laughs> it's not just for kids. So that's where you'll see it on the label. The other thing you'll note that the ingredients list, right? So if it's not called out, if added sugar is not called out, go next to the ingredients list. And if sugar or one of the more than 60 names for sugar is in the top five, three, five, six ingredients, then you know it's probably got, you know, it's got added sugar in it. It's hard to know exactly how much. Another trick you can use if 
it's not listed on the label is to try and compare an unsweetened version of the product to a sweetened version. So a good example would be yogurt. So take a vanilla yogurt, whatever serving size you like, and then same serving size, unsweetened yogurt, and then compare. So the difference between those numbers will be the added sugar. The remaining amount will be the sugar that comes from lactose, but that's not sugar that we're worried about. Again, we're worried about just reducing those added sugars. So the label will start to help. Over time, you'll start to see more of that. Small manufacturers are required to add that label by next January. So we're gonna, it'll take a couple of years before it's fully rolled out. That's probably a good primer. Do you have some questions? I have a question. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about how you approach your meal planning for your family? When I'm not winging it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when my husband's not cooking? <laughs> um, well, I am not a great meal planner. I'm really not. My I think I rely a lot on my husband who cooks alongside me, um, which is very, very helpful. But when I can meal plan, it does help a tremendous amount. The other thing that I like to do when you talk about easy ways to get started, I like to try and make one thing for the week, right? Because you can't take care of everything. But if you can just make the dressing, for example, that creamy poppy seed dressing, it takes three minutes in your blender. So you just throw the pears in, throw the olive oil, white wine vinegar, the other spices, blend, into the mason jar, into the fridge. Like, and then you've done one simple thing to move you in the right direction. If you want to take it up a notch, make s something like the, well, the pumpkin waffles. I make those every Sunday. And again, that goes into the freezer so that I have breakfast already taken care of or snack already taken care of. Um, the honey peach breakfast pops are another one that I really like. They're a healthier version. That's right here. A healthier version of a froyo pop and it's they're sweetened with these peaches and you simmer it down with a little bit of honey and then the greek yogurt it's just this is so easy and it can be breakfast it can be snack it can be dessert i have served these for dessert and nobody's complaining and they're one of the added sugar that you typically find in a frozen yogurt pop so even if you can't plan, if you can plan out your week, great. I'm not the kind of person who can plan out my whole week. So instead, what I try and do is on a day when I have some time, for me, it's a weekend. For other people, it might be a weekday, right? Depending on your work schedule. But try to make one thing that you can kind of stash away for, for using throughout the week. The other one that's really good for using throughout the week, I will say, is the mason jar salad. That one uses the creamy poppy seed dressing. Okay, so this has a bunch of different components in there, like wash and cut the vegetables, set them aside. The pomegranate seeds, you can buy them already in the, in the little package or seed the pomegranate, whatever is easiest for you. The butternut squash, like all these elements can be made in advance and then stored in glass containers in your fridge. And then when you want to assemble, it's really quick and easy. Or you can put it in the mason jar like this, put the dressing at the bottom and then layer up, and then literally just grab it out of the fridge and it goes, dump it into the bowl and lunch is ready. So a recipe like this is really great for, for using throughout the week. And then the components can be used for other things too. Do you see any interest by manufacturers in making 
products because less sugar. It's really interesting. Yes. So this trend is happening and you'll see no added sugar on food labels. It's coming up more and more often. There are a couple of tricks right? Because there's never a silver bullet. There's always some, some sort of catch, when it, especially when it comes to packaged foods. What will happen sometimes is stevia will be used instead. Okay, so read the label. The interesting thing about stevia on the label, they have to list it in the ingredients, but they don't have to list how much they used. So they don't list the grams of stevia that are in that product. So it's hard to really know how much you're consuming. The other thing is fruit concentrates. So on a label that says no added sugar, you'll start to see things like fruit concentrates. And the World Health Organization counts fruit concentrates and juice as added sugar. The American Heart Association considers the fruit concentrates added sugar, but not juice, right? So that's a little bit tricky to know, okay, is that, is that counted? Is it not counted? The juice is another one. Is that counted or not counted? So it's a little bit tricky. You have to be really a label detective to know when you're purchasing processed or packaged foods, whether there's how much added sugar is in there. I mean, ultimately cooking is the antidote to added sugar, right? Because you can control what goes in your food. With packaged foods, upwards of 70% of packaged foods contain added sugar. So it's used as a preservative. It's used to sweeten foods that weren't maybe that great tasting when they went in in the first place or less than ripe vegetables or fruits. But, you know, in some cases you're going to choose a packaged food because it's easy. So, for example, on a granola bar, try and pick one with five grams of sugar or less, right? And there are those nut bars with, you know, sometimes they have a little bit of dark chocolate, something like that, five grams of sugar, that's okay, right? Just try and keep it to five grams or less because if you think about it, that's, that's one and a quarter teaspoons. And so if you're having six meals a day and your limit is six, then, you know, you want to try and, or five meals a day and your limit is six, you want to keep to one-ish teaspoons per serving of anything that's coming from a packaged food. Yes. Are you able to stick to six teaspoons a day? Um, I think some days yes and some days no. And I think that's okay. I think you don't want to stress about it. I think you want to be mindful about it. But there are also times when you're going to celebrate. And like we just came off the holidays, of course, you're going to enjoy. And there are favorite foods like my daughter's birthday was last week. There are things that I make for her birthday that ju- that they're, they're just part of our tradition and that is 100% okay. It's just knowing where it is and then making choices to kind of adjust afterwards. I think the other interesting thing, we were talking about this early on, the data shows that a moderate approach to diet um, ends up with better health outcomes. So some more extreme diets are just hard to maintain. And so when you go back to a sort of quotes, more regular way of eating with a full range of foods, that weight can bounce right back on. So just having a moderate approach and and thinking thoughtfully about it. um, Most of it is knowing too. I think people get surprised. Like I didn't know I was eating a candy bar when I was having this energy bar. I didn't know I was having a donut when I was eating this salad. 
So, yeah, right? Like, wow. It's just like, it's, if you, know, you know when you're eating it when you're having a donut. You don't know when you're eating it when you're having a salad. Um, so I think that's where it gets tricky. And those hidden sugars account for about half of our added sugar intake. So it's a substantial amount. Oh, yeah, that's a really good point. So we don't really address the issue of wine in the book because we were talking about a lot about kids and family cooking, but it's a really good point. So there are, the, you know, if you're trying to reduce sugar in alcohol, there are choices that you can make like a vodka instead. But I think, you know, a glass of wine is that there are lots of studies that show that that's okay as part of, you know, it, again, it's all in moderation. And I think if it's part of a healthful diet, it's fine. You just want to know how it's, how it's balancing out through your week. And again, I think enjoying it in moderation is great so that you don't sort of overconsume it at other times. Thank you so much. Thank you. Many thanks to Jennifer for visiting us in Seattle. As always, you can get 10% off a copy of Half the Sugar, All the Love, and any other books featured on Booklarder Podcast by visiting booklarder.com and entering the code PODCAST at checkout. We have signed copies of many of the featured books, so be sure to get one of those while they last. And if you visit us in the shop, just mention that you heard about a book on the podcast for 10% off in-store as well. This episode was produced and edited by Abby Circatella. Our theme music was composed and performed by James Coley. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and if you like what you heard here, leave us a rating and review to help others find us. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where our handle is at BookLarder. For more information about BookLarder, including author talks, cooking classes, and to join our monthly email newsletter, visit BookLarder.com. And if you find yourself in Seattle, visit us in person at 4252 Fremont Avenue North. I'm Laura Hamilton. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.